Welcome to Views from the North, a Canadian rates and macro podcast. This week, I'm joined by Adam Whitlam, part of the Toronto-based Fixed Income Sales Team. We are going to discuss the federal election results, uh, the recent Bank of Canada policy announcement, and the state of the Canadian rates market. This week's episode is titled, We're Back. I'm Ben Reitzis, and welcome to Views from the North. Each episode, I will be joined by members of BMO's FIC Sales and Trading Desk to bring you perspectives on the Canadian rates market and the macro economy. We strive to keep the show as interactive as possible by responding directly to questions submitted by our listeners and clients. We value your feedback, so please don't hesitate to reach out with any topics you'd like to hear about. I can be found on Bloomberg or via email at benjamin.reitzes at bmo.com. That's benjamin.reitzes at bmo.com. Your input is valued and greatly appreciated. The views expressed here are those of the participants and not those of BMO Capital Markets, its affiliates, or subsidiaries. Welcome to the show, Adam. Once again, uh, you've been on a number of times and uh, I appreciate you uh, taking the time here. It's been a while since we published an episode, but we're back as the title of the episode suggests. We're going to start this week with the federal election. Adam, I know you voted because you're a a good Canadian citizen. Of course, I wouldn't miss it. Of course. Why don't we start there quickly? I'll go through the results for those who haven't been paying close attention. Uh, And then if you have any questions or comments, uh, feel free to chime in. But uh, I think overall, the results are pretty much status quo. So there's not uh, too much to talk about. Again, from a broader perspective, uh, the election was on September 20th. The, the results were another liberal minority, with the Conservatives winning uh, the second most number of seats. Uh, looks as though the Liberals will be backed once again, or supported uh, when, when necessary by the NDP, exactly exactly where we were before the uh, election started. Uh, and so the policy changes should be minimal. The Liberal platform was mostly in their 2021 budget. They did add a few goodies. So there is going to be a little bit more spending, but uh, not enough to really change the outlook materially. We still have to deal with Delta, uh, and there are still clearly big supply chain issues that are holding back growth. So uh, nothing to change any forecast there on the rate side. Uh, shouldn't be any of that. I mean, there was, there was pretty much no market uh, reaction whatsoever to the uh, to the election just because it was status quo one. And, and uh, again, they've already laid out pretty much all of their promises and, and uh, the better macro backdrop uh, more or less offsets any increase in, in, in spending. So uh, issuance should stay pretty much as expected as they put out in their budget and the debt management strategy. Uh, so overall, I mean, really, really not much to uh, not much report, not not a terribly exciting election. But I guess that's pretty Canadian of us, isn't it? And only six hundred million dollars to get the exact same result that we had before the election. So, you know, when it, when the deficit was a little lower, that might have seemed like a big number. But at this point, it's so drastically high that six hundred million dollars is just another drop in the bucket. So why not? Why? Just just a little footnote on the uh, I don't know. What's it? One, two, three, four, twelve digit. Budget deficit? Can I count that high? <laughs> and and I like that uh, you know, like you said, Ben. Uh, you know, a couple more tidbits, a little more liberal spending. I'm sure you're going to see more teaming up between the liberals and the NDP on a go forward basis to get, uh, you know, to get some policy changes through. Uh, you know, no talk of how we're ever going to start to repay any of this extra spend, but uh, until we get one of these parties in a majority, that's probably not going to come. That's fair. There really is no uh, no appetite in the country and politically to, uh, to, to really restrain spending at this point. And, and uh, it does feel like until there are consequences or some kind of issue from a 
debt perspective rates moving up a lot, uh, that that conversation probably isn't going to come up. But uh, I guess that that's just where we are for now. Uh, well, let's let's move along. Uh, I don't want to don't want to get into too politically charged a conversation here. Adam's already uh, chomping at the bit here. To, to uh, <laughs> yeah, don't let my views give away which way my vote went. <laughs> uh, so we'll, we'll move along just so we don't get ourselves in any trouble. Uh, well, let's talk about the Bank of Canada. A couple of weeks ago, I mean, uh, they pretty much kept things right down the middle, just because we were in the middle of an election. And there was there's probably a limit to, to the amount that they could really give up at the time. But there have been some meaningful changes on the macro front. What we've seen is their July growth forecast is is pretty significantly offside. So uh, they missed the second quarter uh, by a few percentage points. They were looking for, for 2% annualized growth that came in at minus 1.1% annualized for Q3. They're forecasting 7.3%. Uh, it's still early. I mean, we're only going to get July GDP, the actual next week. Uh, but the flash estimate was minus 0.4. And that puts the third quarter on pace for something closer to 2%. And if you want to be generous, you can make it 3% if, if trade's going to add a bit more to growth. Uh, but that's two pretty big misses for growth. And, and I guess the question would be then, can the Bank of Canada maintain their current tapering pace with that type of GDP miss? Uh, and, and I think that's a question the market's going to start to grapple with over the coming weeks. When we get July GDP next next week, I think that might be kind of a, a, the start of that conversation, just because you'll have really a negative starting point, kind of not no longer penciled in there, but uh, the actual. So it, it is going to change things a little bit. And, and you had seen the Canadian front end uh, richen a little bit through that soft data patch that uh, that's pretty much worn off now. Uh, and, and things have, have stabilized, uh, I think, to some extent, probably with, with the Fed moving one inch closer to tapering, or maybe maybe it was a big step today closer to tapering. Uh, but well, that, that that's the path of the market. And, and I guess, Adam, how are your clients uh, looking at the bank here? Uh, is it is it just a straight path to taper and then the, the rate hike comes at some point next year? Or is there a little bit more uncertainty brewing out there? Yeah, so I, I think um, a lot of the sentiment that that I've been hearing is uh, a disconnect between tapering and rate hikes. Whereas, you know, when the Bank of Canada, uh, one of the first banks to actually go and start tapering, started, it was really a result of the holdings, like their own holdings of their own borrowing program were so much more massive than the rest of the world that they were sort of in a position where they had to start tapering. They had way too much of their own supply, you know. So in that regard. You know, is tapering akin to uh, to hiking? No. Uh, at that point, you're simply tapering because you just need to reduce some of those holdings. So, does you know, does a big GDP miss, which we're almost definitely going to have, as you mentioned, Ben, does a big GDP miss mean that we're uh, going to have to slow down that pace or, or re-examine what we're doing in bond tapering? I don't necessarily think so. I think tapering might still be on course. We might still maintain that. Does it push back the closing of the output gap? Absolutely. Does it change the path for potential rate hikes? Yes, I think it does. And I think it, it takes, you know, we've already seen a lot of the takeout from at one point we were well-priced for uh, mid-2022, early 2022 to get rate hike started. That's obviously now going to be quite a bit later. So I think it does take out you know, some of that uh, likelihood of rate hikes in the first half of next year and, and maybe pushes it into sort of late 2022, maybe before we see a first rate hike. But uh, tapering, I'm less convinced. I'm, I'm right with you there. I, I think they, they 
want to end their asset buying. I think that it's pretty clear from the way they behaved uh, through the first nine months of the year that uh, tapering is kind of, they view that as necessary at this point, that the, the emergency stimulus that's providing is no longer needed. Uh, rate hikes are a totally different process, and they have a, a totally different bar to start raising rates. Doesn't mean we're not going to get there, maybe in short order once they're done tapering, uh, but it is a much higher and much different bar, to say the least there. If you look at market pricing at the moment, there was a lot more priced in to, to early 22 a few months ago. But even now, if you look at the June meeting, it's trading, call it 36 and at 36 and a half basis points. And, and if you assume Cora is at, at 20 beeps, uh, you're, you're looking at, at, at 16 and a half basis points of rate hikes price. That's a 66% chance uh, by June, which, which seems pretty aggressive. I mean, if again, if you consider the GDP miss, and it's pretty hard to shrug that off. You're looking at the output gap closing toward the end of 2022 at the absolute earliest, if not into 2023. So there's, again, like once, I think there's a chance we get some repricing a little bit more on the front end uh, once we get those GDP numbers and, and there's a little bit more clarity on that front. Uh, so I, I think like if if you get maybe on the back of, of today's uh, Fed meeting or maybe you get a little bit of, of global positive sentiment and that raises those odds of a rate hike a little bit and you get a little bit push higher, maybe of the, the April meeting or something else in early 2022. I think that that's probably a decent fate because it's going to take something pretty extraordinary at this point, I think, to get the Bank of Canada to move in the first half of 2022. And given the supply chain issues that are at play, uh, auto production's under severe stress and that doesn't look like it's going away anytime soon. Uh, it just doesn't seem as though the bank's going to rush a rate hike unless you get one something on growth that's really surprisingly positive, which I think is a bit of a stretch given Delta at this point and, and winter coming up, or inflation. And and that's probably the bigger wild card. Uh, like we've had core inflation pick up a lot. We've had headline inflation pick up a lot. Uh, the bank can is more focused on the common component, which is still tucked under 2%, but still the trend is still higher generally. So the inflation maybe is that one area where you could get things kind of moving the needle maybe a little bit quicker for the bank uh, Adam, what are, the, what are the thoughts out there on inflation? Like, if you look at long bond yields, one seventy six right now, uh, inflation is not a concern. It seems uh, is is that still is that the chatter? Is there has it faded? Is it gone? Yeah. So, with regards to inflation, what I've been hearing a lot about it is kind of coming out of the U.S. Uh, you know, the the transitory camp uh, seems to maybe be getting a little bit of credence. Like what we've seen from a number of companies have been reporting that hiring intentions have eased up the last little while, uh, particularly in some of the States that have, uh, withdrawn some of their pandemic related stimulus. And so, you know, that speaks a little bit to average hourly earnings and, and possibly that's slowing down a bit. And, and in which case we might see, you know, maybe a little bit of the pressure on, on inflation uh, ease up a little bit. The supply side of the equation has been a little trickier. You know, that seems to continue to be a, a, a container ship driven problem. And, and, you know, like the Bank of Canada suggested, that doesn't look like it's going to alleviate anytime soon. You know, from the client base, I haven't seen a lot of long duration bets here, but I also haven't seen nearly the same number of clients willing to fade our market that we had seen, say, at the start of the summer. 
when uh, you know a lot of the inflation talk was heating up. So so at this point, uh, you know, the client base doesn't seem to think that we are going to get a near term big sell off in rates, and that you know potentially as you know more people come back and or look to reenter the workforce, that uh, that maybe some of the the boil does come off of the inflation picture going into the rest of the year. So you know, with that in mind, uh, I don't think the market at this point is looking for uh, you know a big beat down in thirty year rates. Fair enough. Um, I, I'll, I'll get to thirty year rates in a second, at least in in, in Canada. Uh, I, I, I think the inflation the inflation story is probably going to be key next year, with central banks pretty much on the tapering path right now. Inflation doesn't necessarily really fit into that equation all that much. I mean, it does to some extent. Don't get me wrong, but. Uh, it's more just like the need for the emergency side of things is more or less passed. And uh, when that part's over and we're done tapering, then we'll reassess, we'll reassess where the economy is, inflation, uh, so on and so forth. And then they can decide whether they want to uh, be, be raising rates or not. Uh, I think that's maybe when things get perhaps a little dicey, probably more so for the Bank of Canada than the Fed, because uh, they are solely inflation targeters. And if you get this inflation pressure Lasting into early next year, while while some of the labor market pressures might be easing in the U.S. a little bit, uh, hiring tensions are still really high, and and I mean we really haven't necessarily seen much of a of a back off in inflation. There's been a little bit, but not not huge. Like one month does not make a trend by any means. Uh, so next year, I think we we might might be more challenging from that perspective. You'll have higher inflation and potentially kind of still the economy not being necessarily where the Bank of Canada. Uh, wants it to be so it, there there could be some some challenging dynamics there but uh, at the end of the day that the, the growth dynamic does tend to win out and if the output gap remains uh, open so the economy still has room to get back to potential uh, that it, that does argue for a, a later uh, rate hike from the Bank of Canada uh, one thing you mentioned just now was was the long end uh, and, and just not not a huge interest to, to fade or really just not much interest at all in the long end generally. Uh, something I've I've noticed over the past, uh, I mean, really few few weeks, and, and it's really been a few months in the making, is is the persistent cross market underperformance in in Canada and longs. Uh, we're all, all the way into the kind of low mid single digits uh, through Treasuries. Uh, that that spread's been as as much as like negative eighty, or we've been eighty beeps or, or so through in, in, in prior years, and so even a hundred beeps in twenty nineteen. Is there anything in particular you see there? Uh, like, yeah, there's been no, not much interest to, to, to buy Canada per se, but uh, any interest in, in the cross market aspect of things? Yeah, what I think is probably the most notable here is uh, how successful the recent US auctions have been. I mean, we've seen massive indirect sponsorship from these auctions, you know, some of the largest, uh, biggest sponsorship levels that we've ever seen. And, and, uh, you know, I think that really denotes uh, strong interest from foreign investors in the U.S. Treasury market. There's still plenty of value in swapping those assets back, and and I think that's one of the reasons you've seen such consistent underperformance in Canada is that it's not so much a made in Canada story as it is huge sponsorship in the U.S. Treasury market. Uh, and you know that's one of the reasons we've seen the big move in cross market thirty uh, year spread. You know, we're getting close to multi multi year cheaps if we can approach flat in 30 year 30 year you know there there is a spike uh, i think it if i recall it's kind of going back to like 2017 2018 when we got a spike to uh, about flat and then kind of quickly retrace so if we can get back there you know maybe it's a one touch maybe it's not bad for a day trade but the theme this year certainly has been 
you know, much more support for the U.S. market. Uh, you talked about demand for for U.S. longs, and, and we've seen that that uh, the five thirties curve and and ten thirties curves flatten, uh, notably in the U.S. Uh, more in the U.S. than in Canada, but uh, the theme seems to be flattening. Uh, is, is is that the sentiment going forward that uh, don't don't fight that trend for now, uh, even if inflation still. Four percent in Canada, five percent in the U.S. Curve still flatter with with rate hikes now at least kind of on the horizon, the distant horizon, but but still there. Well, I don't know about you, but uh, standing in front of a freight train just doesn't seem like a very good idea, e- even if you think you can stop it. That's that's pretty much my sentiment at this point. It, it feels like even even if the seasonals don't favor duration for the rest of this year, I, I do think that rates really will push higher at some point. Uh, they probably do some more in a parallel fashion, and, and you probably get a little bit of uh, persistent outperformance in, in longs, even if you do have rates rising. That that could still mean a flatter curve, especially uh, if the economy continues to perform, just kind of the recovery continues uh, as, uh, as, as largely expected here. Adam, do you see any other opportunities in the Canadian market at the moment? I do, actually. You know, uh, one area I think, you know, if we're looking at relative value, uh, something that's kind of sticking out on the radar right now is a uh, 5, 10, 30 swap curve. So if you'll have a look at Canada 5, 10, 30 swap versus the U.S., we're at a multi-year low. At, I mean, I have it as Canada minus the U.S., so negative 20. But that 20 level is is uh, quite important on the charts. It's been a level where, you know, Canada has looked rather rich for quite some time uh, versus the US. And and I think it's probably worth a punt. I think one of the other things that's really notable is that if you look at the same box trade in bond land, it's very different. So swaps and bonds have diverged in a really big way. So, uh, you know, I think it's notable to to look at that trade in the swap market, see some of the support lines and, and look at paying Canada in the belly and receiving it in the US on those five cents, 30 slides. Definitely, that's uh, a trade the strategy team has on and is consistently looking at. It hasn't moved a whole lot for the past number of weeks, but uh, you look at that long-term chart and it is clearly uh, an attractive trade at these levels. Uh, okay, so let's leave it there for, for this week, Adam. Uh, thanks for, for coming back on the show, uh, our triumphant return after a, a nice summer vacation. I uh, hope everyone is doing well out there, and, and thanks again for listening. Thank you, Ben. Pleasure to be on here. Thanks for listening to Views from the North, a Canadian rates and macro podcast. I hope you'll join me again for another episode. This podcast has been prepared with the assistance of employees of Bank of Montreal, BMO Nesbitt Burns Incorporated, and BMO Capital Markets Corporation. Together, BMO, who are involved in fixed income and foreign exchange sales and marketing efforts. Accordingly, it should be considered to be a product of the fixed income and foreign exchange businesses generally, and not a research report that reflects the views of disinterested research analysts. Notwithstanding the foregoing, this podcast should not be construed as an offer or the solicitation of an offer to sell or to buy or subscribe for any particular product or services, including, without limitation, any commodities, securities, or other financial instruments. We are not soliciting any specific action based on this podcast. It is for the general information of our clients. It does not constitute a recommendation or a suggestion that any investment or strategy referenced herein may be suitable for you. It does not take into account the particular investment objectives, financial conditions, or needs of individual clients. Nothing in this podcast constitutes investment, legal, accounting, or tax advice, or a representation that any investment or strategy is suitable or appropriate to your unique circumstances, or otherwise constitutes an opinion or a recommendation to you. BMO is not providing advice regarding the value or advisability of trading in commodity interests, including futures contracts and commodity options, or any other activity which would cause BMO or any of its affiliates to be considered a commodity trading advisor under the U.S. Commodity Exchange Act. BMO is not undertaking to act as a swap advisor to you or in your best interest 
interests in you, to the extent applicable, will rely solely on advice from your qualified, independent representative in making hedging or trading decisions. This podcast is not to be relied upon in substitution for the exercise of independent judgment. You should conduct your own independent analysis of the matters referred to herein, together with your qualified independent representative, if applicable. Emo assumes no responsibility for verification of the information in this podcast. No representation or warranty is made as to the accuracy or completeness of such information, and BMO accepts no liability whatsoever for any loss arising from any use of or reliance on this podcast. BMO assumes no obligation to correct or update this podcast. This podcast does not contain all information that may be required to evaluate any transaction or matter, and information may be available to BMO and or its affiliates that is not reflected herein. BMO and its affiliates may have positions, long or short, and affect transactions or make markets in securities mentioned herein, or provide advice or loans to, or participate in the underwriting or restructuring of the obligations of, issuers and companies mentioned herein. Moreover, BMO's trading desks may have acted on the basis of the information in this podcast. For further information, please go to bmocm.com slash macrohorizons slash legal.